Redbeard's Outfitter is a Mobile, Alabama-based outfitter offering a carefully curated selection of gear and apparel, outfitting you for your next adventure, exploring our world, and building community. We love this local store and we love supporting folks like them who are building community in the outdoor space. Plus they have some spectacular apparel for Alabamians and all the gear anyone would need to be ready to enjoy the outdoors. Use promo code TSO for a 20% discount online or visit them in store. Visit redbeardsoutfitter.com for more information. This is The Storied Outdoors, a podcast somewhere between Lewis and Tolkien and Lewis and Clark, finding clarity in the stories we tell and the adventures that shape us. Welcome to The Storied Outdoors. My name is Brad Hill, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Brian Gill. We are, again, this season is kind of the season of some in-person conversations. Usually, we find ourselves in front of a computer screen over Zoom, but now we find ourselves um, in an office, uh, tying room, man space of Mr. Craig Haney in Birmingham, Alabama, up near, right around, really right around the corner from where you live, Brian. We uh, Just down the road. We, we, were, we put in the address, and I'm like, this is really close. I think back to the first time we met Craig, yeah. and that was at the Orvis store over at the Summit. Mm-hmm. And Brian and I were, were dreaming about going up to Hazel Creek to fish. And uh, we were picking your brain about hazel creek and you're telling us you know here's what you need to do or consider and it was an awesome conversation and we we made our way that direction and got completely derailed by (laughs) by some car problems and a hurricane a bear a bear (laughs) killing some or eating somebody that had already passed away it was a just a that sounds like one of my normal trips just a normal normal trip to go fly fishing nothing goes right and everything's tangled up yeah. but man. we knew we knew then that miss that i'm not gonna say mr Haney. please don't you got on to me yesterday. mr haney yeah. mr haney <laughs> was your dad right yeah my we, dad and uh the guy on green acres yeah that's that's true <laughs> still hear that we we knew that craig was special whenever we talked to him and and he had the wealth of knowledge about the hazel creek he knew which campsite to go to. He and he was just freely sharing and with two strangers. And I was like, I, I, "This guy's special." He's so, our people. Then we finally just started seeing our paths cross at all these different intersections. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. So, man, we're just thankful to be sitting down with you, Craig. You spent a, a lifetime in the sort of the retail and sales. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> representing various companies, you know, of which we have all probably partaken of. I mean, you said Zebco, and I immediately had a myriad of memories of push button Zebco right. thirty three. And you said man's bait. Well, I grew up in Eufaula. I oh. mean, that's the home of Tom yeah. Man, and yeah. so so lots of companies represented. Lots of time um, selling and advocating for outdoor products right. and learning and. Then also a lifetime fishing and fly fishing and running a fly shop and then part-time with Orvis. So, man, I know you got lots of stories to tell, but we're just thankful you took time to, to sit down with us and visit and share some of those stories, Craig. Thanks for being here. Well, I appreciate y'all coming to visit, and uh, y'all have said so many nice things. I feel like I owe you money. <laughs> and if uh, you can figure out how much, I'll pay you. <laughs> and we can just get on with things. But uh, – it is it, the outdoor industry is a great industry and it's a lot of fun and uh, but uh, there's my passion for a long time has been fly fishing. I started fly fishing when I was 16. I had uh, was working at Camp Wanatoska as a staff member and um, the director for the boys camps was a fellow named Judge J. Muckle J. Judge J. Russell McElroy. That is a mouthful. It is. 
and uh i've had a lot of dental work and that doesn't help <laughs> so um anyway he after the meals breakfast and supper he'd leave and he'd next time you'd see him you'd still be in the mess hall dining hall and he's out in the middle of kelly creek waving a rod and uh catching realm and little bass and all that type of thing i thought gosh that looks like fun i need to learn how to do that and i was already a fisherman but i never fly fished mm. and so i visited with him some and got some pointers on how to get started and all that type of thing and uh it's gone on from there uh in the last so that's been 62 years that i've been fly fishing and for the last 35 or so uh, 90 percent of my fishing's been fly fishing and since when we started having grandkids 20 odd years ago i would i started them all fishing with little zebcos and that type yeah. of thing and and out of eight grandsons uh four of them are fly fishermen and uh, and two others are are a spin fishermen which uh it's all fun and uh six of them are here in town so i get to go fishing with them a lot and, well and there's still time for them to come yeah. around <laughs> One of them's probably going to be a history professor, so we I get into history with him. He's we're talking about uh, local and national history, and he's in the band at Helena, and support him there. And the other ones playing, the youngest ones playing sports, and uh, and the oldest one is uh, spin fisherman and playing ball at Helena, and. and uh, Oldest two of my daughter's grandsons, our daughter's grandsons, are fly fishermen and, and spin fish too. And the youngest one is a bon vivant. And uh, he's enjoying life and just being 11 years old and playing baseball. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of grandkids. That, that's incredible. It's a quiver. A quiver full. It is a quiver full, that's for sure, and they're all fun. The best thing about getting older is having grandkids, and we now have a uh, great-granddaughter in Spanish Fort, so uh, oh, that's even better. First girl in 42 or three years in the family. Right down the right down the road from me, yep. down in Spanish Fort. I live just across the bay in Mobile, so yeah. that's great. Your time as, um, in, in, in the outdoors and in the outdoor industry, what has been – one of the, the the joys of being in that world i mean you, you've been that was a part of your identity for a long time or still is and uh, yeah. so what what was some of the things that you most liked and brought you the most joy out of being a part of the outdoor industry well from the <clears throat> retail well i love it's fun to when you're selling something that you do or use fishing tackle hunting gear to distributors or large retailers whatever uh there's a lot of just plain fun in that because you're sort of a gearhead by nature and um that can present a lot of problems <laughs> just being a gearhead by nature and being yeah. in that business. But uh, it's always, you know, you, you make recommendations to customers and for maybe a new color and allure or a, a new version of string line or something like that, new rod, new reel, new whatever, and they put it in their assortment and it really does well for them and you build that trust and that relationship with them that that uh, uh, is a big part of it and uh, meet a lot of good people in that industry that are your customers and uh, it's fulfilling from that way and then from the fly fishing end or just me being me and as a fisherman fly fisherman 
helping other people, uh, treat, you know, I remember a couple of things that my parents told me. One was treat everybody like you want to be treated and just help people when you can. And uh, so that's what I've always tried to do, and that's what was was and is fun about uh, the fly fishing business. I get a chance to do it daily. Like you guys telling me how much you appreciated the help uh, on Hazel Creek and me sharing that with you. Well, that's that's just who I am, and I want to. It's fun to help people, mm. and somebody comes back and says something well those flies you recommended I, I, I did really good on them and i'm glad i bought the one that i didn't think i should buy but i bought it and caught fish on it or stuff like yeah, that yeah i love those stories people yeah. coming back and telling you about how they used whatever, and, whatever they bought yeah and it uh now every now and then somebody will pop in orvis birmingham and say you know i hadn't seen you in a long time but i remember when i i got started in fly fishing you gave me this advice or that that advice and it really helped me a lot or that type of thing a fellow that was in the store uh week well last week uh was going uh to the smokies and i've been fishing up there for 50 years and and um I, he's gonna do some blue lining for uh specks or brook trout is and uh and uh he asked me if i had any tips and i just gave him some tips that i had learned over the years that locals up there had shared with me or i'd picked up on my own and that type of thing and he posted on uh instagram yesterday pictures of some blue line uh smokies trout uh the brook trout and uh rainbow trout that little guys that are colored up beautifully and mm -hmm. fun to catch and he he said he got it uh appreciated the help from a from a seasoned fly fisherman craig haining and uh i appreciated being called seasoned because that way you don't call me an old fly fisherman that i came across <laughs> and it makes me feel better it's also better than salty salty yeah <laughs> now google curmudgeon and there's a slight chance you may see my face when it pops up but uh, that's <laughs> that's uh part of it too i guess but uh it's, it's just a fun sport and it's helping other people to enjoy it i've called it for years water therapy and because that's what it is when i'm knee deep in a stream i'm in a, another world uh so to speak and uh it's not about catching the fish as much as it is to me the sense of place who I may be fishing with at the time in that overall picture. Uh, that's what's important to me. And I love it when I can help somebody else sort of understand that through their own experiences and uh, maybe some advice I've given them where, you know, it's it's more than just the fish and it's, uh, it's a special, special it makes me think about our, our mutual friend Jimbo Metter. He calls it marinating. I, I, <laughs> I got to get out in the water and marinate. Jimbo and I were fishing in uh, Gulf Shores area, and uh, it was a hot day. And all of a sudden, he takes off his shorts, which was scary at first, but he had on a bathing suit underneath. <laughs> He's <laughs> always ready. He says, I'm going to marinate now. You can come in if you want to. And he dove off his boat and marinated. Yeah, marinate. I, that's kind of, I guess, what Roel and I were doing yesterday. Yeah, we, he's marinating. We were marinating. We just sat down in the creek, in the river, and just and just let it rush over for hey, a little bit. this is the time of year you got to marinate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, Man, it's hot. It's you rough. Escape that heat. Let me tell you a story about fishing this time of year. All right. Uh, that was probably... 10 or 12 years ago and 
famous writer Ed Zern who wrote humor columns for Field and Stream, the back page, uh, wrote one time, best time to go fly fishing is when you can, or best time to go fishing is when you can. And that that phrase has been passed around a lot over the years, but this was a, a time where my wife was in Hartzell visiting her mother. I decided I was going to go about 4 o'clock up to the Mulberry Fork and um, fish till dark. But I got bored, went up there about 2 o'clock. It was, uh, radio said it was 97 in Birmingham. When I got out of my car, I put on my wading boots, rigged my gear, got down in the Mulberry Fork, and it felt like a warm bathtub. Mm. It was that warm, and I thought, this ain't going to work. <laughs> and But I noticed a little shade line about 20 feet away that went down the bank about another 30 or 35 feet. There was some canopy that had shaded it, and it was a sandy bank that didn't look like anything would be hanging out there except for the fact that it was going to be cooler water because it was shady. And so I got out and threw a popper, and long story short, caught three three spots around the pound, pound and a quarter off that little stretch of shady bank that I never would have thought was there. And then I went on and fished out in the main main area, and it was more shallow water, but you, you don't notice them until you're out there in it, and you'll see little depressions in the uh, riverbed. And they were hanging out in those depressions that might have been four, six, eight inches deeper sort of like a big turkey platter <laughs> and i caught another four on uh clouds or minna doing that out in the sunlight and that kind of that kind of weather but then it caught up with me because even though i drank a lot of water i started feeling nauseous and i got out and came home but the best time to go is whenever you can whenever you can go yep <laughs> just be this time of year be safe mm. yeah but it, it got it got pretty hot on yeah. us yesterday, but then uh, directly a good old storm blew up on us, and we had to pull over to the side of the yeah. Tallapoosa. It's probably a 30-degree difference. It was unbelievable how it's, quickly it changed. I mean, it got yeah. chilly. It got you know, chilly. For, yeah. That's what I like. The salsa saved my life story. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, we, that's that's a reference to the Southern culture on the fly. Yeah, so, yeah in the – not the current issue, but the last one. I uh, did a column for him about salsa saved my life. If you want to read that, you know, I'll put the link yeah. in Yeah, well, how about that? we link yeah, to the article. Yeah, some people there. Because it's a funny story. And it was about three days before there's Sam. My friend Billy, it was Billy, Sam, and me. Sam was rowing. Billy and I were in the raft. Uh-huh. And it's Sam Bailey. Sam Bailey. Well, and uh, I can't wait to hear that. Re- read that story. Yeah, yeah. As you look it up, let me ask you this, uh, Craig. You do some time reflecting on, you know, on your life. What What would you say is a is a moment that really, or or an occurrence, or something that happened that really shaped you as a man? I was blessed with great parents. Uh, I came along late in their lives. My dad had been married before. His first wife died two days after childbirth back at a time when that was not uncommon. And he stayed single for a long time. And and my mother was had always been single. She was a nurse here in Birmingham. And uh, uh, he was an accountant. And they met. Uh, there was 13 years difference. And he was 50 when I was born. She was 38. But... Uh, he had a lot of adversity in his life, and uh, going through the depression, and and uh, lo- losing his wife, going through the depression, being a single father, uh, and and my mother grew up in a large family in Morgan County, in a little town of Falkville. Her dad was a family farmer and had a little store uh, in Falkville, a little general store. And uh, so I spent a lot of time 
up in that part of the world visiting. My dad was from Tuscumbia, but spent a lot of time in Morgan County. And um, my dad didn't hunt or fish, but uh, he really encouraged me. I, for some reason, I was interested interested in it as, I guess, when I started reading and be at the barbershop, and there was Field and Stream, Outdoor Life. There was a great magazine, Argosy. There was one called True, comma, the man's magazine. Hmm. But it was all adventure stories. It wasn't just all hunting and fishing. It was adventure stories that were fun to read and by writers who were tops in, in, in their field at the time that really got you in, drug you into the stories and uh, made reading them great fun. And so he encouraged me uh, when uh, I was 13 that Christmas. Uh, I wanted a 20-gauge double barrel shotgun 26 inch barrels choked improved cylinder and mod and i was just going to use it up in morgan county squirrel hunting or rabbit kicking up rabbits that type of thing but they the next i also got some hunting clothes and then they told me the next morning i was getting on the train to tupelo and going to bird hunt with my uncle robert for a week so they put me on the train downtown Birmingham. I've got a shotgun case in one hand, a suitcase in the other, and I go to Tupelo. And uh, that was the first real hunting trip other than not the kicking up rabbits and squirrel hunting is yeah, not. So but going on and leaving on it, you got on a train. You're going on yeah, an adventure. <laughs> yeah. This was an adventure for sure. And uh never will forget Uncle Robert saying uh Towards the end of the first afternoon, Craig Jr., if you don't stop trying to shoot the whole cover, you go run out of shells, boy. <laughs> so it took another day and a half or so before I – I'm a slow learner. It took about another day and a half before I really got good at picking out a bird and taking it. So uh, that was a big week. But it was the example of my father as the man that he was that was devoted to his family – when I was in Scouts, he was uh, he was 60, 61 or two, going on Scout camping trips with me, sleeping on the ground in pup tents with no air mattresses and cooking over an open fire. And he was not an outdoorsman, but he did that with me, and that taught me a lot about what it means to be a father and be involved with your children. And I told myself then, if I'm blessed with children i'm gonna be involved with them and uh because i still remember that mm. and and had a great mom that was uh she was florence nightingale reincarnated she was a great nurse she nursed it uh her last 20 or so years at children's hospital in birmingham when it was over in the lake lakeview district and uh they were both strong in their faith and uh and uh, just couldn't have had better examples. Mm. When we were at the um, fly fishing, the international fly fishing tour, film tour uh, at Cahaba, you made a comment about talking about legacy and things that matter and, and starting to focus on more on those types of things. And, and it made me start wondering about, you know, what would you – tell a younger version of yourself now that legacy and, and focusing on things that matter is, is becoming more important to you? Well, it's in my case, it's faith, family, friends, fishing. I went to Auburn. I love Auburn, but just try to be the best person you can be. Treat everybody like you want to be treated. Be respectful and helpful to people. And it uh, gets back to it just being second nature because that's what the environment I grew up in. And uh, and I, I 
really, really feel blessed to have these eight grandsons that I've been able to spend time with. And the ones from Albuquerque, the oldest ones, they're out of school now in the real world. And But they'd spend a month or six weeks here every summer, and we'd camp, fish, do whatever, taught them shooting skills and this type of stuff. And it's just like I remember well, being if you're fortunate to have kids, be involved with your kids, and you'll make memories that they'll still remember when they're an old dude like me. That I'm remembering things that were I did with my dad over 60 years ago. It meant that much to me. And they went to all my football games out of town, in town, and watch me sit on the bench a lot, watch me <laughs> play some and uh, uh, that kind of thing. And be supportive of your your family, your kids, your wife, you know, your friends. Uh, try to be the best friend you can be to your friends. And it's uh, hopefully my grandchildren, grandsons, great-granddaughter will feel like that uh, I was the best gramps they could have had or, or uh, you know, that, that I always had time for them. I remember Bill Dance's TV show for years. No, it's Jerry McInnes. Oh, okay. I grew up watching all these outdoor TV yeah, shows. Jerry McInnes. Uh, before he got big nationally, he did a uh, uh, show out of – Kentucky called the Fall City Fisherman. It was regional, and I came across it in Nashville. And he always, at the end of it, when it, the scroll at the end, he always said, "Thanks to Dad, who always had time to take me fishing." Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you may not want to take your kid fishing or whatever, or whatever they're involved with or whatever, but take the time to do it because. You are their dad, and you will make memories that uh, they'll never forget, and you won't either. Mm. Brad, what's that quote that you always say about quality time? Or, oh, yeah, talking about there's the myth of quality time. You can't schedule quality time. No. You can only have quantity of time, and then eventually quality time happens. <laughs> yep. But you got to spend time with people, you know, for, and, that, for that to come happen. And you never it, – it doesn't have to be a big deal. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a grand adventure. No. Uh, Noah, the 17-year-old of our daughter and son-in-law, he loves to fish. And um, about – well, last week he said, hey, we talked and I, I said, I'm uh, off Tuesday if you want to get together and do something, see if there's – and uh, he'd been stuck at home and uh, bored. And uh, so he says, well, let's go fishing if we can. So we decided that uh, we'd come up here, a little pond up there nearby. It's not great fishing, but it's fishing. And mm -hmm. when you haven't got a lot of time or it's a hot day like today. And uh, he caught 12 or 14 bass. And Dang. Wow. hour and a half in... Uh, 96 degree weather. Good grief. Now, that's a good day. So, you know, it doesn't, ha it doesn't have to be a major deal. It doesn't have to be a, it, it's the time that you're showing interest in the time. And then later, another day, we, uh, went exploring to show him a creek. I thought he might want to go wade fishing in the western part of the county. We got there 23 miles from the house, and it had grown up so much you couldn't get into it. <laughs> and uh, But we, I was apologizing coming back, and he said, no, that I've had a good time just I've seen just riding, some, just riding yeah. and talking. And so it's uh, giving of yourself, and... Uh, and and go, doing that thing that you may want not want to do with your your kids, grandkids, wife, but you do it because you 
you know you not should do it, but you, I guess, you know you should do it because that's part of who you are as a person. And that's as, to be the kind of person you want to be, you need to do that, whether it's rain, sleet, or snow, fishing's good or fishing's not. It's going to be 28 degrees in the morning. Do you really want to go out on the deer stand <laughs> with a grandson? <laughs> well, you can bundle up and stay warm. That's right. And uh, I, I wouldn't take anything for it. And, and I, They'll remember those times yeah. when uh, we had candy bars and sausage and biscuits and everything else and hot chocolate and trying to stay warm on a 28-degree morning. But that's it, and I just I, – I'm not sure I answered it no, exactly. But those are good. Excellent. Good I words. Think. What um, – I know you, everyone – is on a different, you know, Brian and I are, are younger than you. And, but we've had defining moments, but there may be more in, in store for us, you know, that are defining moments as to what kind of person we're going to be or what kind of man we're going to be. Yeah. And so for you, like when you look back, what would you say is a defining moment for you? Maybe it was something difficult or, you know, maybe it was something painful. It could be, you know, it could be anything. What would you say would be something that was a defining moment for you, if you as you look back on your life? I'm not sure that there's there's one uh, that it wasn't an aha moment. Mm -hmm. I'll put it that way. And it's sort of like talking about faith, and you're you're trying to get stronger in your faith or whatever, and and uh, don't don't be waiting for the burning bush to happen, and all of a sudden you're there. You know, mm. it's it's more about to me. It was just realizing that uh, uh, I needed to let go and let God. And I guess that really might be that was quite a while ago. Uh, I guess that was probably the most important defining moment in my life. Well, I know it was, aside from, because that's gotten me through strong faith and Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, was uh, it's gotten me through a lot of, a lot of times when I rolled down the mountain <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I saw it in my dad and uh, uh, just how... He'd handled things early in his life, and and uh, that would probably be it. Because there's there's been a lot of uh, uh, a lot of things. No matter what you do, it doesn't go right. Mm. And uh, you just hit your britches up and get after it the next day or that day. You don't let it get yeah. you down. Uh, you just find a way to make it better and carry on and don't let any slack develop. I really uh, kind of resonate with that. You know, sometimes it's not those aha moments. Yeah. But you look back and you see all this whole journey that God's brought you on and it's like, when did that happen? Exactly. It's not like there was this huge cliff we ascended or, or something it, but it's like all of a sudden you're you're years down the road and you're like man god's been working this whole time he's been yeah. he's been shaping me he's been guiding yeah. my steps and uh that's uh that's very well put and I, that's a lot of what it was with me i think i just i wasn't listening or or thinking it through or paying attention or whatever but uh he had it under control and helped me, mm -hmm. and and uh, I know, from, despite all the ups and downs and disappointments and all that kind of stuff, I've been truly blessed uh, to be here at my age and still get to do things I enjoy doing, fly fishing and doing stuff with my grandsons, my friends, and talking to you two guys. What y'all are doing with Storied Outdoors is, I think, just a terrific 
terrific uh, project. Thank you. I think those are kind words. Well, I mean them. I'm not. I'm not just saying it. Uh, it's one thing that you know, you, I've got a few books in here, and I got a few books out there, and I got a few books in that room over there. <laughs> I grew up a voracious reader, and. Uh, my mom taking me to the library in the summers when I was eight or nine, ten years old, me checking out books and us going back in two weeks and checking out another stack. So I've always loved reading, and uh, that's sort of sad to me that kids don't read actual books like they used to, mm-hmm. you know. It's reading it on their phone, getting their news or information off the front phone, you know, the there's and the the slow death of print magazines uh, uh one of them i've written for for the last eight or ten years that uh was a lot of fun to write for because i could do some historical things or i could do some outdoor well it was an outdoor magazine i do some some survival stuff a lot of backcountry cooking and camp cooking stuff and um a lot of little goofy things that you wouldn't think about. So, uh, but people need to know what to do if that happens, you know, mm-hmm. kind of things. And their last issue was this spring, Athlon Outdoors. Uh, Athlon's a huge media company, and they uh, decided to cancel that one and another one that they've been doing that I've been writing for and I sort of hated it because it was a lot of fun mm. and they paid good <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I do uh, I've got a lot of great books that uh, uh, that I, I'd like to pass on to my grandsons mm. and hopefully they will take them and read them and they won't go to the used bookstore mm-hmm. at least the the ones and you mentioned, y'all mentioned defining moments, and I talked about my father, and and there was a book, The Old Man and the Boy, written by Robert Rourke. Uh, he was a he was a famous New York newspaper man, and he was a uh, big African hunter. He grew up uh, in the Carolinas, North Carolina. His parents would send him to his uh, grandparents for the summer every year. And uh, his grandfather, this is as a 12, 13-year-old, they did. And his grandfather would take him fishing, hunting, teach him how to catch turtles, how to get oysters. Where, where did all that take place? Uh, it's like in, in the Carolinas? In the Carolinas. This I'm, is the same book Jim, Jimbo Metter. Yeah. Jimbo referenced this exact yeah. book. It's right over there, this middle – Second from the right. Yeah, it's exactly what he talked about. Uh, that's the book I got back when I was around 20 or so. Wow. The first one I lost. But anyway, it was a column, The Old Man and the Boy, and I look forward to reading that every year. And uh, I mean, it all the time, every month. And the old man in the story was like a surrogate grandfather to me. I didn't have a grandfather. Both my grandfathers had died way too early, and uh, I never knew them. And the old man and what he was teaching his grandson was how I learned a lot about the outdoors from the fishing, hunting, natural history perspective. And I've given my outdoorsy grandsons all a copy of it when they were 13 mm. and wrote a note in there about how I learned so much from it when I was their age. Sounds like a must read. I, I yeah. think I'm just going to have to bump this one up now I'm gonna add to that the top of the list. list. Yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's still in print. Oh, wow. And it was published somewhere around 56, 57, mm. something like that, and it's still in print. Wow. He was a wonderful writer. That Used Enough Gun is about hunting in Africa. He wrote a number of uh, excuse me, books about African hunting. Wonderful writer. Yeah, I got it. There it is. 
Well, you know, it's going on the list. The the things that we get from books are the same things that we're doing right here. These stories yep. that we're passing down to our kids, our grandkids, our people that listen that we won't ever meet, and um, just appreciate you sharing a little bit of your life uh, with us and, and your story, and um, being a part of this community that that we all love so much um, in, the, in the outdoors. Um, one of the things we like to ask our guests is, um, you know, what's your next adventure? And uh, that's always a fun one because it, it ranges from anything from sitting on the deck, watching a sunset with your kids to going to Alaska on a fly fishing trip or going to France or whatever. So what um, what's your next adventure? Well, the first one is going to be waking up in the morning. <laughs> Once I've accomplished that, it's... Uh, it's doing stuff with my family, mm-hmm. my grandkids. Uh, we just got back from a family trip to Colorado where uh, my fly fishing son-in-law and two of the grandsons that fish, fly fish, we fished for four or five days, and everybody caught some nice trout, and uh, and uh, we had fun, and my wife and daughter our, they had fun walking the streets of Breckenridge, looking and shopping. Mm. But it's beautiful country out there, and it was no just doubt. it was great. And uh, but I can my son's oldest grandson is not a fly fisherman, but we get together from time to time and and uh, on Lake uh, on Logan Martin, mm-hmm. and uh, not enough, but. Uh, and we'll fish, and uh, we've hunted. We hunt together in the fall. Uh, there's some family property, Blood County, and so I get to hunt with the grandsons up there during the fall, winter, and that's always fun. And if I had one trip to do. I would, well, I'd want to go back to Hazel Creek for a week with my boys and I lost my good friend Steve Claxton who knew more about Hazel Creek than any man alive or now or in the past. He grew up on it. His father took him there fishing at nine. He he was an educator, did a lot of good for the Swain County area, and a terrific guy. Loved him like a brother, but he unfortunately died of heart disease three years ago. But I'd like to, I wish I could, well, I can't. I wish I could go back and all the boys, the older boys got to know Steve and uh, camp with them and Steve and the other grandsons mm. and eat homemade biscuits from scratch and Nana Hala sausage and listen to the wolves howl and the turkeys in the morning and uh, catch uh, some trouts. Man, that sounds that's kind of what we were hoping to do whenever we were headed up there. But Get derailed. Get derailed. Right. <laughs> that sounds like a fantastic Here, trip. Here's another. You didn't ask for advice, but I'm going to give you some. Oh, bring it, bring it. <laughs> you never let life wait for things that matter. Mm. And y'all are at the age where you've gotten out of school, and you may have fished hard for a while, and then you get married, and kids come along, and, and you're trying to move up in your work and get busy with this, that, and the other, and honeydews, and kids are playing ball or involved in band or all this kind of stuff. And all that's great. That's what we're supposed to, I feel like, do during that time. But at some point, uh, you'll you'll get to the you'll get old enough where you realize you can't do some of the things that you wished you had done mm-hmm. for physical reasons, whatever you know. So just try to make time, whether it's 
your wife always wanted to go to the Rockies. Take her to the Rockies mm. for a week or whatever. That's Stick good. a five, nine foot five weight in the suitcase. That's and, right. <laughs> and maybe if you're a good boy, you can fish some. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, just taking your kids to do something or and a dream trip for you and your wife, mm. whatever. Just make time for it because yeah. I've uh, had the experience of of a close encounter that uh, that's one thing that sort of came back to me or came to me several months afterwards was uh, never let life wait for things that matter. Mm. That's a good word. It is. What's one of your favorite uh, favorite fish to catch, to target? I love the Smokies. And I love catching, I learned to call them specks 50 years ago when I, when there weren't all us tourist fishermen going up there and fishing. And I'd ask the locals that I'd see up on the streams and blue lines, that kind of stuff about what to do. And they'd talk, they'd talk about specks. And I figured out they were talking about brook trout. Oh. Yeah, down and, on the Gulf Coast, we yeah, call them speck, yeah. speckled trout specks. Yeah. And uh, you don't hear many. I just got in the habit because I talked to so many people that were natives of up there at the time, and and um, but it's hard to believe a two hundred pound man can have as much so much fun catching little six to eight inch, nine inch wild mm, fish that yeah. when they're in their spawning colors, it's like they've got neon bulbs inside lighting up all the spots on them. Mm, yeah. They're just absolutely gorgeous, yeah, that's awesome. and they're they're survivors. Uh, the native, well, there's a uh, they're the original char trout in the southern Appalachians. They've been here since the Ice Age. On uh, where they haven't been restocked, mm. but. Um, Upper Snowbird Creek outside of Robbinsville, you go up a tough hike about four four miles and you come to Big Falls and it's about 20 feet high and no other trout has gotten above Big Falls. And it's nothing but the original Appalachian strain of brook trout there that has been there since the Ice Age. And that's a pretty neat deal. That's incredible. And that's one thing that I wish I'd taken more time to do, Mm. go up there. And uh, and fish it. It's uh, it's a hard day trip because it's it's a tough hike. A little narrow gauge railroad went up there. There was a hunting lodge up there a zillion years ago, and uh, narrow gauge railroad would take all the sports from the big city up there. Mm. And uh, but it's a a really neat deal, and nobody. Wants you, you wouldn't believe it unless you'd been there and had one of these kind of days. But there was times when three of us, there was a definite time when three of us went up there, two good friends and myself, and we caught over 200 specks in a full day. Good night. They oh just, goodness. you could have, it didn't make any difference. I started changing flies <laughs> to find out if there's something they Find wouldn't. out what they wouldn't eat. <laughs> they were just totally turned on. And these are Billy, my friend that I was talking about in Montana, and uh, Dudley, good friend and fisherman from here. Uh, we just absolutely, I stopped when I failed going up uh, sort of a rock embankment and landed on a root knob that was Ooh. bruised a rib and. I didn't feel like casting that much the rest of the day, I but I'd had, a, I I'd had a great day. And it was somewhere around, I'm trying to put the math back in my head. It was somewhere around 200 fish over that. That's an incredible day. I've and never, heard, we, never heard of such. We fished, uh, we fished about nine hours. Wow. And um, mm. I've got a book over there. Papa was a fisherman. It was written by an old-timer 
and that southwestern North Carolina. And you read in there where they talk about catching 100 trout, 150, 200 trout, a bunch of them in a day. Wow. Mm. What's uh, You can only have three flies for your fly box. What's your top three? What fish? <laughs> <laughs> all right. For, all right, I'm going to say I love trout fishing in North Carolina. So parachute atoms – size 14 16 18 a uh, a palmer fly which would include a green yellow orange palmer it's a simple little pattern that's local up there it's got a, a pheasant tippets uh, pheasant crest tippets for the tail and then it's a brown and uh, grizzly hackle wrapped together up to the head of the fly over a dubbed body. Mm -hmm. And they call them palmer flies because it's palmer. That's what you recommended for us on Hazel Creek. That's right. Yeah, I think I bought a couple of them from you. And uh, they work. They float great. They're easy to see. And when the light's not great because you got a dark Mm -hmm. hackle and a light hackle, and fish eat them, so that's two. And then the third would be royal wolves, probably from a size 10 to 16. Hmm. And people, when I say Big 10. Hook. <laughs> glad you mentioned that. <laughs> when I was going up there, when I was in my late 20s and all, and I'd beat these guys, and you you knew they were local because they'd have on green work pants from Sears, mail order, and a green Sears work shirt, and they had on old Brogan work shoes that they'd glued or nailed carpet to. And, they, and back then... That was their wading boot. Yeah, that was 50 years ago, and fiberglass rods were common, and there was a... So I'd always stop and ask them, and of course they knew I wasn't from around there, but I'd say, I'm, I'm Craig, I'm from Birmingham, and up here trying to learn more about these mountain fish, and could y'all give me any tips? And and they were always very open with me, and and I'd ask, you mind if I see your flies sometime? And they would... Never had one turn me down. But uh, one of the tips I got more than once was you need to fish them big flies, boy, when you got a lot of rapids and riffles so the fish can see them. Don't be fishing none of them little ones like that because the fish can't see them good. Mm -hmm. You get some of that rougher water, you want to fish that bigger fly. They Mm -hmm. can see them. How about that? And darned if they can't. How about that? But trying to sell them... In the store at Orvis Birmingham, or when I was in business, most people, or so many people today, think trout only hit small flies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I would, uh, and and a royal wolf is just a great searching pattern. Small mm-hmm. ones look sort of like ants, I guess, and the other sizes look like lunch. So they they're a great pattern for bass. This time of year, it'd be a an old Mr. Wiggly, which is a foam bug with a lot of legs that you don't do anything to. You don't twitch it. You just cast it upstream, let it drift downstream. It's about got about ten legs on it. Just let them slowly. Hmm. Don't guide up in uh, Wisconsin. Came up with it because guiding in the summer he'd tell his clients don't pop the popper just let it drift and Mm. let the legs do the work of course if you got a popper you're gonna pop it it's called a popper yeah (laughs) so uh he came up with a mr wiggly it's sort of a uh and i ordered some and danged if i didn't start catching fish on them in the summer doing exactly that my second biggest spot came out of the um the uh, Locust Fork, oh no, Mulberry Fork on Mr. Wiggly on September 3rd, 11 years ago, real low water, real warm day, 
and it dead drifted over a hole, and it was like watching a torpedo come up <laughs> or a missile being launched from a submarine. This big fish came up and just it didn't, and then it just sipped it and went to the bottom of the hole, and it was a legitimate four and a half five pound spot Ooh. when I finally wow. got it in. Good but tree. it was it is truly do nothing fishing. So that'd be one. Uh, you got to always have woolly boogers. Mm-hmm. That's right. In v- various sizes and different things, and helgramites. Mm-hmm. I love helgramites. Cahaba's full of helgramites. All these other streams are full of hel- helgramites. And I just cast it upstream and sort of dead drift it back like you were nymph fishing with trout. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the basses eat them, little ones, big ones. Yep. And catfish eat them. And that's the three this time of year I would fish. Uh, it would vary a little from time to time, but if mm-hmm. I had to fish just three flies, now going into fall before it gets before it gets cooler, that's what I'd do. Because mm. you could you could motiv- you could uh, move the uh, Mister Wiggly to uh, uh, have a little action. That's not going to give a big pop, mm-hmm. but. Uh, well, Craig, this has been a great conversation. Um, just to sit and visit with you and hear some stories. But you got you got one more. You got something else there. Look like there's something on, well, on your mind. I'd like to add one small bit of advice or story. Yeah. The hardest thing for fishermen to do, I think, whether it's gear fishermen or fly fishermen, is think outside the box. You're people will come in and I'll speak to them in the store when I was in business when they're looking at flies and and um, talk to them about what they're looking for and so many times somebody will say oh I just use chartreuse poppers you know if they won't hit chartreuse they're just not going to hit anything mm-hmm. and I have proven in my life many times that they won't always hit chartreuse poppers mm-hmm. but but people won't try a blue popper. My sec, my tied for first with a chartreuse popper, or white or orange or whatever. They they they're gonna fish a chartreuse fly when other colors may be the ticket. Or just to prove a point, I took a size ten uh, boogle bug years ago chartreuse up to the Smokies in the the slider one slider version and fished it along the banks in the summer because inchworms are falling into the water mm. and inchworm patterns are good so this is a little chartreuse floating inchworm with rubber legs coming out the sides <laughs> and a marabou tail and caught trout on it oh wow so don't lock yourself into a box where you don't think outside that box because you never know I've caught a lot of fish that way that just trying something goofy or a color that I may have had in my box and didn't have, Mm -hmm. didn't ever get around to using or something. But think outside the box. It can make the difference between a good day and bad day. Wow, that's good. Well, there's a lot of of life lessons in that too. Mm -hmm. I think outside the fly box. Mm. It's like sometimes you got to look outside of what's always been working. Yeah. And uh, I love that that lesson. You know, we have to think outside of what we've. You get into those ruts, which I heard a guy say one time. Uh, all a rut is is a grave with the ends kicked out. Mm. I like that. <laughs> I need to write that down so I so I won't forget it. But it is easy to get in a rut and what we're familiar with, and we stay and, right there and, and we don't step yeah. outside of what is normal. Well, like fly fishing, you got your confidence flies, and I understand that we all have them, but. You know, if they're not working, try a different color or sometimes a different size. It might still be a chartreuse popper, but try either a big one, bigger one or a smaller one. Sure. And sometimes that will make the difference or a bigger or smaller dry fly if you're mm-hmm. trout fishing. So That's so good. I love it. I love uh, these conversations and sitting down and visiting. I've been looking forward to coming and visiting with you for 
ever since we got it on the schedule and we're to actually ever since we saw you at the film festival thing i was like mm-hmm. we have to we have to sit down with craig and and hear some of his uh some of his stories and just uh add your voice to this conversation is really special for us and uh and i know it'll be special for our listeners and hopefully i'm going to get to see uh jimbo coming up pretty soon and so i'll make sure to give him a hearty hello from you do that i go over there and visit with him and uh i think he's going to share maybe some guide stories with me yeah. so looking forward to potentially hopefully another episode we'll see if it works out but hopefully another episode jimbo better should be designated a alabama treasure i agree we we wholeheartedly agree uh, he's, he's a, he is the neatest guy and I got to hang out. I was fortunate to hang out with his son, Bo Matter, for some yeah. coffee, and uh, it was good to visit with Bo. And Never met Bo. I heard both stories yeah. from Jimbo when he would be up, and sure. we would. Oh, I'll tell you a quick Jimbo story. You can do whatever you want to. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, I've been told I'm wordy, so <laughs> and the off switch doesn't always work. So Jimbo was Celadorvis, and I was. At, Tony Laws, Woods and Water, and put in fly fishing for Tony and put in Orvis and Scott Rods. And Jimbo would come by, and, and uh, we got to talking one time. This was when uh, Forrest Gump came out. And uh, the book had been out for several years, and and uh, I had it was a great bookstore in Jackson, Mississippi, Lemuria, that always had signed copies of books of some hot books and i'd bought one years ago and knew it had been dedicated to jimbo and his other friend and so the movie comes out and i'd been talking to jimbo about going up to uh, big snowbird and, and backpacking in for about three nights and those fish for those little specks and he, he was all over it and so we we're going to leave on a wednesday he calls me on monday and I wish I could imitate the draw, but you can imagine Jimbo saying that, uh, Craig, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to go. Uh, a reporter from the London newspaper's coming over, and um, Winston just told me about it, and he wants me to be there, too, for the interview. And we're going to have to just, I got so I'm going to have to do that. We just need to replan the the trip. Well, unfortunately, we never did. But no. uh, I wish he and I had made that trip. Mm. And that gets back to never let life wait for things no. that matter. Yeah. So uh, well, he is you're a, a You're an Alabama treasure too, Craig. I appreciate <laughs> all that you do for this fly fishing community and for the people in this state. So well, thank you. Uh, I am uh, very humbled that you said that, and uh, and uh, I appreciate the fact that you said it. It does question to me whether you stopped at a bar before you got here, <laughs> but that's that's between the two of y'all. Is that why you were late? It wasn't the first interview, but uh, it's been a real pleasure spending time with you guys and. Yeah. Sometime let's when you're up here, let's get together and eat barbecue and lemon ice box pie and get some sweet tea and y'all tell me stories. Hey, yeah, that would be fun. I would love hearing your stories. That's how you. The other thing is never stop learning. Yeah, never yes. stop learning. I'm 79, and guys come in the store and they're fishing for this or that, and I start talking to them, and. I'm wanting to learn what they do on a 96-degree day when they're fly fishing. What do they fish? Or uh, Chartreuse popper. Char- chartreuse popper. That's all you need. Don't just carry some extra tippet. Chartreuse popper. Hey, that's what, I was, that's what I fished yesterday. I was laughing inside. We were on that river, and I, was, I, we, I moved away from one thing, and I said, man, I think I'm going to go back to that chartreuse popper. And wasn't long after that I caught a fifteen and a half inch hybrid, yeah, hybrid Lewis bass, and it was a great day. Yeah, <laughs> chartreuse poppers. That's good. I'm guilty. I've got them, but I've got. I learned about about blue poppers. Now, if y'all need to go or whatever, I'm just visiting now. Yeah. I mean, you can tape this or if you want to or not. But I learned about blue poppers about. 
40 odd years ago when I was still a rep and went up to, uh, I used to get, before there were any thoughts of fly shops here in Birmingham, I'd order from Harry Murray's shop up in Virginia. He's a big smallmouth guy. And he had blue, he sold blue poppers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I ordered some from him and dang the goofy old spotted bass and largemouth didn't hit them down here. And then I was up in, uh, Buddy Greg and I went up to the Smokies and we, we went in a shop in Asheville, Hunter Banks, and they had blue poppers made by a guy named Walt Carey, C-A-R-Y, up in uh, up in North Carolina. And uh, so I bought six or eight of them to bring back, even though we were up there for... for uh, uh, fish trout and started catching spots on them and red eyes on them, large mouth on them and when got into the fly well during that time I was still a manufacturer's rep and I couldn't rep I couldn't find them anywhere traveling the state of Alabama or Mississippi and uh, so when we got in business I called Walt Carey back in six ninety six and ordered blue poppers and his popping bugs to put in the store, Haney Mullins. And danged if they they still catch fish. So if mm. you're not trying a blue popper, buy blue poppers. All right. I think I've got one in my box. Noted. Yep. And you can still put on your chartreuse one first. Always but, uh, <laughs> start with the comfort fly but and then move on. And that's like with the uh, Mr. Wiggly's blue ones work good and green ones work good. In the mm. summer, because of damsels and dragons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So you can match the hatch with bass fishing and flies. That's, that's right. But well, this is a uh, you, you know it's been such a great conversation, and uh, I, I agree with Brian. This is uh, you know adding your voice to this conversation was important to us, and and this will be recorded, and it'll be something we can always come back to, and that's mm -hmm. a, that's in and of itself is a treasure to us, and. Uh, well. We're grateful for it, and uh, you know, just to spend time sitting in this uh, sitting in this office where you tie your flies and you're surrounded by your books, and uh, man, we love it, and we're thankful. We hope, uh, you know, we never know who's listening and who, who will take to heart something that you said, and, and I know the ripples of this conversation will go much further than we have any idea. So we're thankful for everybody who listens. We're thankful for the people that leave us reviews and send us comments and. Uh, and comment on our Instagram post about different different episodes. And, man, these messages and these stories go much further than we can imagine. And we're just thankful to be a part of that and to get to do that. Share these stories and share these adventures with people. And we hope it inspires people to do that, to share their stories, to write down uh, their stories, maybe record their stories, to share their adventures in the place that we love to call the storied outdoors. Redbeard's Outfitter is a Mobile, Alabama-based outfitter offering a carefully curated selection of gear and apparel, outfitting you for your next adventure, exploring our world, and building community. We love this local store, and we love supporting folks like them who are building community in the outdoor space. Plus, they have some spectacular apparel for Alabamians and all the gear anyone would need to be ready to enjoy the outdoors. Use promo code TSO for a 20% discount online or visit them in store. Visit redbeardsoutfitter.com for more information.